G'day and welcome to GradChat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I am your host for this week's GradChat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and Postdoctoral Affairs, as well as CFRC. So thank you very much to both of them. Now, if you may miss the show at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CFRC Podcast. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and our postdoctoral fellows from time to time are doing. Today, though, I would like to introduce you to Caitlin Dewhurst, who is doing a Doctor of Science in Rehabilitation and Health Leadership under the supervision of Dr. Rosemary Lysart. Welcome to Grad Chat, Caitlin. Thank you. Good to have you. I understand you've been up north, so I want to ask you a little bit more about that later, but it's good to have you back in Kingston. Virtually, yeah. I'm calling in from British Columbia today. Oh, British Columbia. So, okay, you're not even in Kingston. You're in British Columbia. Okay, you do get around, don't you, with your work? (laughs) I definitely do. (laughs) And I think that's the beauty of the the Doctor of Science program that you're in. And and so explain a little bit, because your background is actually in occupational therapy, but you're doing, you know, um, a doctor of science in rehabilitation health leadership. What made you want to go back to school? So it was 2019 when I started the program. So it's been a bit of a journey. Oh, um, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, our cohort really got the full effect of the pandemic um, during that. And I have also a little one. So oh. she's she's five now. So she's she's grown up and, and plays proposal writing on her computer. Her computer. <laughs> <laughs> But I really wanted to, like, I've moved away from clinical practice and I was working at the Department of Health in the Northwest Territories um, in the mental health unit. And so that sort of showed me and opened my eyes to the world of more policy and program design and wanted to round out my my skills um, in that area. And I thought um, the Queen's program was a really good mix of understanding the applied with the change management leadership pieces and so that's sort of what spurred me to want to go back to school and are you still working yep oh so double well triple whammy so you're studying full-time you're working full-time and you're looking after a five-year-old yep how how do you manage that i have i have a really good support system of amazing classmates absolutely uh, amazing classmates and also my partner has been amazing to support so working full-time throughout the whole program which has been a challenge and thus my timelines have extended but that's okay <laughs> that's okay look i always take my hat off to people who are doing more than one thing because it is amazing how much you can accomplish um takes a bit a bit of effort and you're probably going to be super tired by the time you finish but how rewarding is it knowing that you've managed to still be able to do keep with your with your job too because you don't want to lose your job just to go back to study so uh, that that's great and it's great that the so where you're working are they understanding or uh, really understanding that you've gone back to do this because in, in in reality whatever you research will hopefully help them as well. Totally. And so my my employment journey has been interesting where I ended up actually starting a private practice. Right. Um, and so I went into the private world and doing some consulting, which has given me both the freedom 
to explore the research a little bit more, um, but also work more directly with Indigenous governments away from the territorial government, which has been, or NGOs, and which has been a real opportunity to apply right away what I learned in in my coursework. I was able to apply, you know, change theory and project management and all that right away to to the real, real world experiences. So that has been you know, I think that learning has been just as valuable as the research side to the program, whereas the right. leadership and change pieces has been, was really core to the beginning. And now I'm venturing into that more scholarly, scholarly world of, of academic research too. So. Right. Well, it's good that you still want to do the research, research part, because a lot of people say, well, let me just get do a course, <laughs> right? Which clearly has been very helpful. And of course, for those people who don't know, even in the doctoral studies, you, you still have some coursework to do in your first year. So, um, and clearly for a program like yours, um, which is on, it's all online, isn't it? Except it's for a couple of times you come in to meet everyone. Yeah, yeah. It's been a hybrid of in-person and virtual. At the Donald Gordon Center there with the beautiful candy bar, get, yes. to, <laughs> get to meet with everybody. And I think that was a real asset for our program because we got to meet everybody. And then it was like virtual for a very long time with, with COVID and things like that. Right, right. Um, yeah. And you also mentioned, well, we, we will get onto your research in a minute, but see, I'm just fascinated. Um, so it's it's interesting too, you talked about, you've got a really good support system, both at home and within your cohort. Mm-hmm. COVID aside, do you think having your peers who are doing similar things, because I imagine a lot of them are still working as well and maybe have family, do you think that was integral in, in sort of helping you get to where you are now? And also really important that the program gives you an opportunity to meet people in person to help build that community amongst yourselves. Totally. You know, part of the program was that we were all working too, because it was really pushing to try to, you know, narrow that knowledge gap of here's the research and apply it. So I think having people working and researching and, you know, endeavoring to become those scholarly leaders uh, was, was core to the program. And I think that shared lived experience of navigating, how do you, how do you be a student and a, and a full-time worker while living um, your life with family and all that um, was really helpful to have that peer group and the in-person for, for our cohort was so invaluable of making those bonds so quickly. And then it made the virtual easier because we, we had already connected um together did, did you find your cohort are from similar professions i mean i take it you're all in, in health in, in some way but uh are there occupational therapists physiotherapists nurses uh, uh, do you have a, a good mixture of people we did we had um so there weren't all like rehab people so we did have ot's and physios but we also had someone who was working in the disability management world within um, aviation and so okay that was really interesting to have his perspective in the program. And then mm-hmm. there was policy people working Department of Health or regulators for the different um, rehab professionals. Um, it was had a teacher in our classroom as well. So it was it was a nice mix, which sort of rounded out um, conversations in a really, really great way. That's great. OK, so, so like I said, I find find the program fascinating, but we're here to talk about your work. <laughs> yeah. so I'm here to get on with it. Everyone's probably thinking, get on with it. 
<laughs> we want to know what's going on and I know that's why you want to be here as well to sort of help us understand a little bit about the work that you are doing. Yeah. So your research topic is um, indications for service integration for early childhood mental health in Cambridge, Cambridge Bay up in Nunavut. Mm-hmm. So can you, first of all, before we go on to the questions a bit, bit more mm-hmm. in depth, can you give us an overview of why you're looking at mental health services in Cambridge Bay, Nunavut for children aged 0 to 5? What brought you to that, to that area? Yeah, so um, it's really interesting. Cambridge Bay was the first community that I went to when I went up north. It was my first travel clinic as a very fresh clinician in the north. And more recently, sort of a year and a half ago, I came back there working with uh, the Kitikmiat Friendship Society, um, which is an NGO there that um, is all about creating local programs with community members and serving children and youth and right. their families. And, and the research was, was sort of birthed out of their need and what they're wanting to do. So they're wanting to create more services for early childhood supports, specifically mental health supports for families. And so it was just a really good partnership where I'm looking, I was very interested in the world of integration and health and wellness from the determinants of health lens and through discussions with what they're needing, because they're wanting to create a, a infrastructure project and build a space where they can provide services. Um, and so we talked about, okay, what does that look like? And then also what, what does early childhood mental health mean for, for right. families? So that's sort of where the research came from was this organic conversation with the NGO saying they needed this work. And I said, okay, I'm in this place where I need to do research too and and interested in the area. And so we just sort of joined forces. And so your work with the the government part put you, said to you, we want you to go to Cambridge Bay to work on this project or did they, you pick it? They reached out to um, to my private company, that like consulting company, right. um, to, to provide. Um, they they were creating an FASD diagnostic team. Sorry, what does that mean? Fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. So okay. it was they were creating a team of clinicians, so OT, SLP, educational psychology, and um, the pediatrician. And very early early days, they've just started doing this in, in the Katikmiat, which is the region Cambridge Bay is situated in, in Nunavut. Right. And so we were working with them about creating this diagnostic team. So assessing with families, um, children to see if, if they have FASD or not. And it was through those conversations that they had this other project about early childhood. And I was like, oh, I'm actually doing my doctorate. And so that's where we started talking about how can I support them with their work that they're wanting to do outside of at the clinic. That's brilliant, though, because um, you've got your ready-made research area and, and topic. And so, you know, you're getting your your DSC at the same time you're helping a community at the, as well. So it's a bit of a win-win, isn't it? Absolutely. And and I was really interested in working from that community-based participatory action research approach. And so having the research question and the research area defined by the community and then seeking out the researcher to support that, you know, it really supports that, that approach to doing work in a good way. So that brings me up a question, and it's one we hear a lot about now is when it comes to research and particularly research working with a, an Indigenous community, 
of not going in there and taking over and assuming we're telling them what they should know or should be doing, etc. I guess this introduction you had, first of all, I mean, how was that set up and, and how did they feel about someone coming in from outside the community to work with them on a project, which I'm, if I'm understanding correctly, they saw a need for this project? Yes, like I'm a non-Indigenous, white, privileged, colonial person. And so really understanding my positionality in relation to the community and and listening and, and taking a step back and going, what are, what are your goals? What are your needs? And how can I support that? So that power dynamic and trying to sort of destabilize that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's been a real journey i'd say for me and learning about my unconscious bias that i didn't even realize i was holding um and so i think that's why the community-based approach is so important because you never know when those unconscious biases rear their heads and so taking building the research project so that it truly is collaborative and we're doing it together and so there's community members represented within an advisory committee so all the work is done in in collaboration and so it's just not me you know researcher coming down saying this is what i think we should do and it sort of feeds into the research topic area of integration and systems where often you know the way health systems are created it's by the departments or by big government who then right. say this is how it's going to be provided. Um, and this and the service users, the people who have to navigate it, are the ones that have to go from, you know, health to education to housing yeah, to justice. Going, it may work for you, but it doesn't work here. Totally. So it's not contextualized. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's why it just working from that participatory approach is so important for me. Um, and I've had a lot of lessons from my advisory committee as well. So I have Janet Jell as well on my committee and another person who, it, from the government of Northwest Territory who supports cultural safety work within the government. So they've been really right. helpful in, in pushing me to like open my eyes to checking like, why did I make that decision? And, and did I truly do it in partnership? And, and so it's been a, it's been a real journey of humility and, and checking where I am and yeah. Well, that, well, that's it's interesting too because when you talk about committees, a lot of times committees there are other academics that are being put on your committee. So clearly, because you're working with an uh, an indigenous community, some of the ethics and things around are a little bit different. And we have the indigenous ethics um, approval system now, which is fantastic. Before that was never there, yeah. so it's good that we had that. And clearly, Dr. Lysert has also very involved in making sure these relationships work. What other sort of faculty people do you have in your committee or is it really just Dr. Lysa and the rest is from the community? Yeah, so I have like my my school advisory committee and I would say I'm very grateful for Dr. Lysette to give me the real world time because the, the timelines of the academic world of how you're supposed to progress through research. Yes doesn't work with what community priorities are and if you know everyone's going on the land and I can't connect with them for two weeks or three weeks that's that's their priority right so that's been uh something to sort of the real world challenges and the the scholarly world's challenges don't always work well together yeah (laughs) um so I do have like an advisory committee within the community to really guide like the interview process who should we interview um how would this how is this done in the best way for this Mm -hmm. community 
so it, I often present like, here's some ideas, and then we collaborate together with the, the advisory committee uh, in, in Cambridge Day. So, so let's go back to your work, mm-hmm. um, and, and you're looking at how you can do more for kids aged 0 to 5 to make sure their mental health is doing well. Mm-hmm. So what exactly are we looking at there? Because 0 to 5, you think, well, it's not like you can go up to a kid and say, what do you think? Here's a question. Can you answer it? Totally. So how, how are you looking at that? Are you looking at statistics that are there? Are you talking to community members, like parents, looking talking to whatever health practitioners are there? How are you doing this? How are you trying to find the data you need to come up with something? Yeah. And that's one of the research questions explicitly, like what is the def- what's what's the general definition of what does early childhood mental health mean? Mm-hmm. Because it's really contextually based and it's not just the child, it's also the family and community as well that feeds into the wellness of that child. Um, so it's co-constructing that definition together with the community members as well as service providers. So service providers from the different departments. They have a family wellness department. They have the health services. There's justice and education, like early childhood education. And then community members, caregivers, grandparents. What does that mean for them? For them. Um, and then coming together to go, is this, is this what we're, how we're defining early childhood mental health? And therefore, what services do you need to support your mental health? Whether it's, you know, not stressing that rent has to be paid, you know, by a certain date when I have a conflicting you know, appointment at the health center and I can't make it. So it's, it's how are those systems working together to support how everyone is defining mental health for that demographic? It's, it's interesting you explained it that way because one could think that you're actually talking more about the adults in these child lives as opposed to the child themselves mm-hmm. um, because are you saying then that if we can make things easier for, say, the family of these kids, make it easier for them so they don't, for instance, have conf- conflicting needs mm-hmm. so they can do they're, they're separated they can do it at a time where it's not stressing them and therefore they won't impart that stress onto their children is that what you're saying i think there's like layers to it there's like the micro layer of like do the immediate needs of the child get met so thinking about you know food security and access to play and access to educational opportunities and then there's the meso and and macro and so it's it's at those multiple levels that that if that's how the community is defining wellness for for kiddos then how are our systems either supporting or creating barriers for that to occur because if families are saying you know for early childhood mental health we need you know, access to clinicians on a consistent basis because the majority of service providers are itinerant. They're not based in the community. Or if they are, they change every three to six months. Yeah, and they get flown in and they're here for a couple of weeks and then they're gone. Totally. And and I mean, it, as a service provider who has done that, I, I get the challenge of that because you get mm. plunked into a community and you don't understand the context. So that's why I think it's so key that the community creates the definition themselves. And so as people coming into the community to know, okay, this is what the community sees as what they need for wellness, you know how to help that a little bit better. 
Uh, and co-creating those knowledge translation tools together. Like how do we support a clinician coming in so they know what other services are available? Because they're not all government-based. There's NGOs and associations and things like that. It's starting the dialogue. And I think this research is just like one little, little pocket of like multiple research to come. But I think that first piece is like, what are we all talking about here? Because if we're all talking about different things regarding mental health or for children, then yes. it's really hard to create alignment and linkages that are supporting that seamless care that many, many people anecdotally I've heard. And then from reports that there's such fragmentation in the way our systems are provided. So when you're, you're doing your interviews in person, mm-hmm. who are you interviewing and how are you collecting that data? Because I mean, you're, you're back in BC now, you're not up there. Yep. So have you done the collection already and now you're just going to do it? Or do you are you still trying to collect the data that you need? We haven't started the data collection piece yet. Um, so I'm just finishing the ethics piece and then we're going to go into it. But it's, it's with conjunction with KFS. Um, and so the goal is to be able to interview um, caregivers and families, um, as well as service providers who are in the community and at least have been in the community for you know three months or have serviced the community for at least three months just to have a sense of the community and so there'll be a combination of interviews and focus groups so doing in-person groups together and i think this is where the guidance from kfs to ensure that what would be the most safe place for people to feel that they can give honest feedback because not always do community members feel safe to give their experience of navigating a system with the service provider right there that they might have had a challenge with. So navigating that together and making sure that all the the people that are part of it are feeling safe to be giving their honest opinions. Can I ask you the kind of question you're going to ask different groups or is that too early? I mean, we do have some, I think some of them is just like, what, how do you define early childhood mental health? Like, what does that look like for you? Who's involved and who isn't? And then I also have questions about like, what does it feel like when things are going right? And what does it feel like when things aren't? Because sometimes it's hard to like, maybe on paper, the pathway was followed from a like systems perspective, but it didn't feel good for that person. So is that a successful service? Right. It it, it was, it was stressful or it was, had to work hard to make that happen as opposed to just being natural, as you said. Totally. And like, how many times do you have to tell your story to people? Mm -hmm. The question of the Mm. mental health of these children, Mm -hmm. is it the mental health of these children or is it the overall well-being of these children? Because, you know, things may go wrong and mentally they may be just fine, but their physical health has gone down or, you know, there's, I mean, there's, it's, it's all integrated. Yeah, it is. It's all included. So why use the word mental health for not to five, which I know you said you're trying to define what does that mean? Totally, totally. I think, I think also like in that Nunavut is one of the territories where the mental health of youth is, is dramatically and suicide rates are so high in Canada. And so, you know, those early years really do influence later year experiences in terms of wellness. And so I think focusing on mental health from, um, you know, as an OT, I think about regulation and connection, and I think about play and, and those pieces 
people may not say, well, that's not necessarily mental health, but as a like an OT clinician, I see those direct links. So that's why I want to explore that concept more because everybody, like I think mental health and physical health can't be extrapolated from each other. They are obviously connected. And what's going on around you can't be ignored. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and there, you know, there's been a lot of work about how early childhood supports and services are one of the key determinants of overall health. And so that's where, that's why I, I think we focus there. And also from the organization, KFS, and mental health is a really, really big focus for them. And so they're wanting to explore that. And I think when you think about community, yes, there's the child, but, and, and I think this is also where the Western perspective of like, siloing to the one right often happens and so I have learned about you know my client is the community or the family and so looking beyond has been a big learning curve for me I'd say and actually what does that actually apply to so I think that's why with the research I'm cautious about pigeonholing too much um, and letting it go and maybe you know maybe at the end of it it's not just mental health there's way more to it and I think that's that's the beauty of the research is it allows it to grow and where the community says it needs to can I ask I mean I know this is um a project that was put forward to you 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 Mm -hmm. mentioned suicide rates and the well-being of say the teenagers the younger younger adults in the community has not been great would you be looking to interview some of that population to help you understand what happens in their naught to five years, if they even know that, if you know, but the early, mm-hmm. early years, because if they've gone in this particular route, learning how did they get to that point may help what you're trying to do also yeah. in your own research. Yeah, and I do have room for that. I'm also cautious of like with zero to five memories and how much people remember um, is is the other piece of that. But yes, it's open to youth involvement if they want to. It could be hard for them, but yes. But yeah, hard in many ways. Like there's sometimes some negative experiences that they may have gone through and and I don't want to trigger or cause more harm in bringing those up. So I'm just cautious of that, but super, super important work of having their perspective. But yeah, there has to be like some limitations at at some point too. Well, yes. And and all these projects could keep going and going and going at some (laughs) stage for your own, for your degree, you need to finish at least part of it. So at at the end, what are you hoping to achieve from, Mm -hmm. from this research? Is it something that's usable just for Cambridge Bay or a a model that can be used in other communities? What are you trying to? I think at the end is having a bit of a mapping of the services and supports that currently is in place and where, where are their positive connections and and strengths of, of what is currently happening. And then also identifying those weak, weak points so that, as KFS is creating their own program is how do we knit it together in a better way to support the families, but also to create a knowledge translation tool for how do you onboard a new clinician coming into that community? What do the community members want you to know? And I always think about it's at least a a couple hours flight into the community. So as they're sitting on that airplane, could they you know, what resource or what message do you want those providers to know as they're flying into your community to provide you with supports and services? 
from their from like the the people, the residents' perspectives, or the service providers who have been there for a long time, what what advice would you give mm-hmm. um, in an accessible way, not necessarily just like a manual? So co-constructing yeah, what the yeah right <laughs> manuals, and, and manuals don't work in indigenous ways, right? Mm-hmm. It can't all just be written down in a manual. That there's just other parts. Live. Yeah. And we had a, I remember we had an education PhD students were looking at, you know, educators going to overseas to teach and exactly like you're saying, the kind of onboarding they needed. So when they got there, they felt comfortable in the surroundings, had an idea of the culture that they were in yeah. and not assuming anything or not having an expectation that the culture they're visiting is going to change for them. You know, totally. if anything, you're the you're the outsider. You need to fit into the the culture that you're going to. So, um, totally. I mean, it's it's so it's so true. I mean, it's it's sink or swim. You yeah. either get accepted by this community, which you don't have time, or you're going to find you work really hard, and therefore it's been a waste of time. Yeah. Um, so I think. I think about like my first clinic when I went to Cambridge Bay and I had it set up where it was like nine o'clock appointment, 10 o'clock appointment, 11 o'clock appointment. And the nurse had sent out all the invites to everybody and then no one came. And I was like, oh my gosh, because it was about me and how I thought I needed to provide services versus what does the community, how do they want to receive the service? And I didn't right. know. Right. So providing an opportunity that we can co-create, what are the communities saying that they they need for service providers to know and how they want to be served, mm-hmm. uh, I think is really important. It is important. And I remember there was a time I was in New Zealand and uh, I worked in basketball at the time and we had a national camp, national team camp, an age group camp. And so these kids who were promising kids were invited and were getting flown into Auckland for this camp. And I remember all the kids were arriving and go, well, where's such and such? And they go, oh, well, he's not here. Why not? Oh, he decided not to come. And I'm thinking, my first impression was, we've just paid for an air ticket, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da, looking at all those things. And then I realised it was, the reason he didn't come is because he was looking after his grandmother and family was more important than playing a game of basketball. But I wasn't thinking about those other things. And so I had to learn very quickly that it's not always going to work out the way you want it to work out because that's only my understanding. I, I've got to learn everyone else's ways. So I think what you're doing is fantastic. And I love the fact that it's a, it's going to be a win-win. Just the way you've explained things today makes me think you've got a pretty good understanding now that whatever else you do in life, you're not just going to jump in and think that you're, you know, it's my way or no way you are going to look at okay well i'm in this situation what does this mean for the community i'm around today we create systems that are often service provider centric and it's flipping it on the head and empowering the people we're serving to say this is how i need services provided for yeah me. and that's and that's actually a really great way to finish this is because we need to service what the people need what not what we think they need absolutely um, and that's anywhere whenever wherever we are in the world um you know, it's nice to be able to help, but are we really helping sometimes or making things worse? Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, Caitlin, it's been an absolute delight talking to you today. Thank you so much for sharing the work that you're doing, both for your research and outside of your research. It's uh, It's been absolutely fascinating. And I we get to hear more about the end result of what you've done because 
you know, working with another community is super important for a lot of communities in Canada to have a look at and how the bigger population, if we want to call it that, can, can work and actually make everyone included and have the health, health uh, support that they need. Yeah, thank you very much for the opportunity. I really enjoyed it. It is brilliant. Thank you. Uh, I love it. I love this stuff. I learn so much every time and I go back and talk to my family. Go, Did you know <laughs> our students are doing this, this and this? And I, I just think it's awesome. So thank you very much. I really appreciate it. So that's it, everyone. A, another week of Grad Chat sadly comes to an end. Don't forget, you can download the show tomorrow from either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify or CFRC podcast. Just type in a grad chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.